the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Just about everyone has had an experience that has led to wondering if there's a way forward. Sometimes it's so devastating that you can't see a path no matter how hard you try. Today's guest, Dr. Ken Druck, joins us to offer a guide for when we find ourselves feeling lost, uncertain, or even terrified about the road ahead. Dr. Druck is one of the nation's leading grief and resilience experts. He's a best-selling author of more than a dozen books, a recipient of the Distinguished Contribution to Psychology Award, and a speaker. His new book is How We Can Go On, Self-Compassion, Courage, and Gratitude on the Path Forward. Welcome, Dr. Druck. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Joan. It's been way too long since we've spoken, and I thank you for having me. Well, I'm really happy that you're here, Doctor, because as I said in the introduction, we all have these moments, these situations that really have the ability to knock us to our knees. And sometimes when we're there and we're in so much pain, we really don't know how to move forward. We can't see a way. So what is it that you think happens to us when we're in so much pain that clouds that vision, that keeps us from seeing the way forward? I think, first of all, Joan, it's the permission to be human. You know, we all have what now moments. And whether it has to do with the loss that we've suffered, and not just a life loss, but a living loss. A living loss is a divorce, uh, a retirement, a a radical change in the way we've been living, Uh, perhaps the estrangement of a family member. It could be anything, but it could also be an opportunity. My goodness, we won the lottery, you know, or, or we've met the person of our dreams. And we get kind of frozen. It's like, I don't want to screw this up. The fear, first of all, the permission to be human and to say to ourselves, of course, I'm nervous. Of course, I'm scared. Of course, I don't know what to do. I've never been here before. So I think the first step is really to give ourselves permission to be human and to be rattled and to not know. Some of us think we should know exactly what to do all the time in any given situation, but that's not the truth. That's not, we're human. Mm -hmm. We don't know. We have to learn. We have to summon newfound courage and strength, understanding, clarity, and direction. You've heard the expression, the devil you know. Do you think that a lot of it is we'd rather just stay where we are because we know it? Absolutely. And and I think one one of the saboteurs, you know, we have all these things that in us that hold us back from becoming that stronger, more courageous, better version of ourselves. And sometimes it's that resistance. It's the devil we don't know. It's being scared. It's the fear that holds us back and creates resistance. So we come upon a situation, we have an important decision to make, and it could be anything. It could be a a relationship decision, a decision in a relationship to speak out and be honest and say something because things are kind of going sideways. It could be the sharing of information about uh, we just came from having our annual physical and we're not sure who to tell or who we can trust 
who's going to be our trusted confidant that we could share and unburdened with this information. And we hold back sometimes when we should step forward. And I think the, the second major rule is to make sure that we have our foot off our throat and our hand on our heart, because self-compassion is one of the key elements of how we go on when we just don't know how to go forward or how to handle a situation. And self-compassion means that I stop and I check to see if I'm talking to myself with my foot on my throat. I'm punishing myself, I'm criticizing myself harshly, I'm beating myself up or bullying myself or, or I'm invoking an, an old screw up in my life and saying, oh, I'm just, I just don't know what to do, I'm not good enough or smart enough. And make sure we have that hand on our heart of kindness, port, encouragement, humility, and acceptance to get us to really get us on the right track and talking to ourselves in a constructive way. Why do you think two people can go through the same type of experience? One is able to brush it off as not much of anything, and the other person can really be broken by it. What is it about those two people that's different in the way they handle the situation? That's such a great question because it, it comes alive in our families. It comes alive in our work, our style of approaching our life's work. It comes alive in friendships, especially friendships that are, that are going through a difficult transition. And I think we're all wired differently. Some of us are so inclined. We go right from a, a, an, a moment of uncertainty into catastrophizing. We go right, or we go right into painting a, a rainbow, you know, uh, into, oh, it's fine. I'm going to be fine. It's, it's all going to work out. We go into, you know, into a sense of either grandiosity or a sense of entitlement or a sense of, uh, you know, rose-colored glasses. So I think we're all wired differently. And if you look at what creates the biggest conflicts in our relationships, it's the failure to realize that we're just wired differently, that some people are inclined to take that first step into catastrophizing and fear and, and a protective kind of fight or flight response. And others are a lot more resilient and a lot more inclined to figure things out and to begin to think constructively about, all right, what are my options here? Yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, I'm, I want this to work out. But what are my options? And to start thinking critically and to even have a friend that we trust, a trusted confidant, we can do a reality check and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this, but I just wanted to hear myself talking out loud with somebody I trust to make sure it's the right decision. How much of the way we handle situations as adults comes from learned behavior as a child? So, for example, when I started doing this work, in a very short period of time, in five months, my 23-year marriage ended, my mom died, my sister died, and my oldest son left for college. So my life was completely ripped out from under me. It took me a long time to do the work and to try to figure out why I was able to handle it so well. I mean, not in the beginning. I mean, it was a very difficult time. But moving forward, why I was able to move forward. And then I realized my parents buried my brother when he was 14. And I think a lot of what I knew or, or knew how to do in later life came from just watching my parents my entire life without realizing it. Does that happen in most of our lives? And how much of the way we handle it has anything to do with us? It, it's from other people. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, one of the things you and I just shared, I just came from New York giving the giving a keynote speech uh, for the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. And, you know, so I had a chance to take a break and my wife and I snuck off and we saw a beautiful noise, the, the Neil Diamond play. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what the play was about. It was about things that happened to him in childhood, what it was like living with post-Holocaust parents in New York and the influence of their constant vigilance and worrying and fear and being in that atmosphere, how he had to find a way out and beyond. And it was through his music. It was through what he created. He created a path forward through his music. And that's what the play was about. And I thought it was brilliantly done because the first act starts with him sitting there with his therapist. And they're beginning to deconstruct why he, in his adult life, 
He has spent so much time on the road, distant from his relationships. It was a beautifully told story with great music to boot. So not only when we go through trauma and we experience all these different types of situations, we have to also be mindful of what we're teaching our children and grandchildren. This can become generational trauma. Exactly. They are watching. And how we frame what's happening in our lives, how we treat one another as parents, uh, how we relate to our families, our aging parents, you know, they're watching all of that, the imprint of the way we're acting, the way we handle conflict, the way we discipline them, the way we set healthy limits and boundaries for them, the way we acknowledge them, uh, you know, and, and, and especially and their siblings together. All those things are setting kind of the template for what they're going to then go out to the world and start adulting. Where are they going to get the template for how to adult, for how to go through their teenage years? Of course, they're going to learn things by themselves. And some kids are going to become an I'm not my father or I'm not my mother because they're going to so strongly disidentify with their with the parent who was doing something that was painful for them or added stress and pressure for them. But I think absolutely, you know, we, we need to be mindful of the example that we're setting, what we're becoming a role model of. And hopefully it's self-compassion, self-support, self-care, treating other people with compassion, patience, understanding, asking good open-ended questions of other people, really getting to know them, finding out how they're doing and what style they de they are dealing with life to understand they're not they're not lesser than uh, us because they deal with life life differently. They're just different. They just handle things differently, and they may come from a completely different background. One of my favorite expressions. I always like to quote Nike. I think they had such a brilliant slogan when they said "Just do it." And a lot of times people will say, "How did you do this? How did you do that?" And and I say, "I just did it." So without oversimplifying it, because it's not simple, but how important is it to do something different if you want to have a different outcome? Well, I, I think absolutely we have to stick our neck out. We have to do that risk assessment, like where am I going to get? What's at risk if I do nothing? What's at risk if I do something, but I have to stick my neck out? I have to take a chance. I have to bet on myself. I have to take the path forward that I think is going to help me become the better version of me and have a bit the better life that I believe I deserve. And I think some of us are risk aversive and risk avoidant, and some of us are have more tenacity and confidence, and we're more inclined to take a risk. We we don't we don't live in fear of failure. We don't live in fear of and and are crippled and paralyzed by the fear of making mistakes. We're we accept that we're human, and sometimes, you know, we're gonna we're gonna screw up a little bit. There was I read a recent article about some of the greatest thought leaders of our time, and how they screwed up when they were 16 or 19 or 22, and and it kind of puts everything in perspective that we're human after all. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna have setbacks. We're gonna have failures. We're gonna suffer losses but that we can strengthen and build our resilience. And no matter how we're wired, we can build our resilience and we can really strengthen ourselves and summon and call up from within ourselves newfound courage. Maya Angelou said that courage is the greatest virtue and that it's, an, it's threaded through every one of the great virtues. Well, we have the ability to summon newfound courage and strength and to go forward and to take a chance even if we haven't taken chances in our lives before, whether it's a relationship, a new job, uh, going on an adventure, uh, let's do it. Let's try it. Let's do it. As you said, let's take the Nike encouragement and inspiration. Let's try it. Let's do it. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned over the years is that it's important to release expectations of a way we believe our life would play out. You know, we all write this story of our life and, it's so easy to say, well, I shouldn't be divorced, or my mother shouldn't have passed away, or all these things that shouldn't happen. When you cling to all those supposed to be's, I think that's what keeps us in so much pain. 
I agree. But I think that it's important for us. Look, we all have parts of our history, or most all of us, that hurt, that traumatized us, that paralyzed us, that really set us back, that we still remember. And occasionally we get triggered back into the the trauma and the remembrance of it. You know, coming from 9-11, I was reminded, I, I realized that whenever I go to New York and I come back to New York and do programs or meet some of the people that I worked with 22 years ago, uh, there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity to reconnect and to appreciate and to validate and support and continue to heal with each other. But there's also going to be pain. You know, I, I, w- I was reminded by so many people that I ran into of some of the more painful moments. And what do we do with that? Do we allow that narrative of the bad things that happened the losses, the changes, the difficult transitions to dictate our future? Or do we write new chapters? Do we allow ourselves to say our damn it, you know, to vent, to air it out with somebody or with ourselves, to allow ourselves to feel the pain, be angry about what happened or to be upset and to register that that's something we'll probably always remember, but to go forward to take that path forward, to go on, to say, I'm not going to allow that to dictate. I'm not going to let my pain be the central organizing principle in my life. I'm going to be my love of the person that I lost. I'm going to let my love be the central organizer or my tenacity to go on and to create meaning and purpose in the rest of my days, however many there are going to be. I think a, a really wonderful example of what you're talking about right now. A number of years ago, I interviewed Scarlett Lewis, who lost her seven-year-old son, Jesse, at Sandy Hook. I know Scarlett well. Well, and and so, you know, one of the things that struck me was her ability to forgive her son's killer. She decided that I'm not going to stay in this place of anger and and hatred. And, and, And so she was able to move forward by doing that. And, and, you know, like you said, you have to figure out a way to write a new chapter. Yep. And that's what, you know, how we go on is all about. It's about taking those steps, doing those things, cultivating those practices that allow us to write new chapters of life. I have something called the seven honorings. That was a template that I shared with the 9-11 families. Self-care and our own survival is an honoring. You know, doing something good in their name is an is an honoring. Embodying the essence of, of the special essence of that person we've lost is another honoring. But writing new chapters of life is is a, it takes a, it takes a lot of courage and tenacity. But it's a way that we honor those people that we've lost, and it's a way that we honor ourselves for having gone through a tough time of life and rising up out of those ashes. And creating life. You know, we're here for a limited amount of time. And how about honoring ourselves and what we've lost by making good of whatever time and opportunities that remain in our lives and becoming that better version of ourselves? Doctor, for someone who's listening to you right now and is in agreement, but that person is really in a dark hole and and can't figure out a way out, what's the first step? The first step is to do a self-compassion check audit to make determine whether you have your foot on your throat and the way you talk to yourself, the way you reflect to yourself what's going on and your ability to rise up out of it and rise above it to get unstuck and to see whether maybe moving your hand from your throat down to your heart and showing yourself greater kindness, understanding, support, encouragement, even humility, forgiveness, whether that can change the polarity of what's happening in you as you face into whatever change or challenge or loss or opportunity stands in front of you. And I think that is the most critical, essential thing to do, is to keep your hand on your heart, keep the hand of kindness as the voice you're listening to and speaking to yourself with. The book is How We Go On, Self-Compassion, Courage, and Gratitude on the Path Forward. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Druck and his work, you can visit kendruck.org.
www.thepeacekeepers.com. Doctor, in our final moments, what would you like to leave our listeners with? What is the takeaway? Well, I think the takeaway is that there is a continuum from self-compassion to self-condemnation, and that most of us just don't realize the degree to which we condemn, we pressure, we judge, uh, and we disfavor ourselves, we diminish ourselves, when right around the corner is the opportunity for self-compassion, is to treat ourselves with support and love and acceptance and kindness, tough love when we need it, but support above all other things and to give ourselves the encouragement we need to go forward. And by the way, if people are interested in the book, they can go to uh, to howwegoon.com. And that's uh, even better than my website, kendruck.com, but howwegoon.com. And, uh, and I just want to thank you, Joan, for the work that you do. Talk about giving gratitude to people who who need it and deserve it. Thank you for the work that you do day after day, week after week, to bring light where there's darkness. Thank you so much for saying that, because when you're in that situation, you know, like your work is about in this book in particular, you don't see the way forward. You you don't think that there's any hope. And and I remember when I was really lost at the time, and I, I didn't want to be here, not because I really wanted to die, but because I didn't know how to live. And so your book, How We Go On, offers a lifeline to anyone who finds themselves in that situation. So once again, visit HowWeGoOn.com. And Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Joan, it's a pleasure to reconnect with you. You stay well, and we'll talk again soon. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. Hello, doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. The mark of a truly educated person is an open mind. These impactful words were shared by one of my mentors early in my education career. I have used this phrase and sought out examples of such persons over the last many years. Yesterday, I met another truly educated person while visiting a wellness center and meeting with the physician who owns it. She described her journey as a physician and business owner, mentioning the joys as well as the challenges of running a healthcare practice in America today. After reaching out to coaches and having soul-searching meetings with her staff, she came to a couple of conclusions. This is Vito Mazzi, your cash flow specialist with Kinem.com. The doctor made several new decisions, but she felt that the biggest one was to focus on the strengths that she and her team possess. Their main strength? They offer fantastic wellness care to their patients as she was trained to do. Among areas in need of improvement, which she has decided to outsource, dealing with financials like insurance claims and accounts receivables. She actually had called me in to assist, and now I'm helping her. And yes, I can help you too. Visit Kinem.com 
forward slash Vito hyphen Mazza or call 800-850-5110. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a board-certified professional and executive coach, speaker, workshop leader, and reinvention expert. She's the founder of Linda Mitchell Coaching and Healing. Linda is here today to discuss why visualization is key to goal achievement. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me back, Joan. Linda, anyone who has set goals for him or herself can tell you how difficult it is to work or achieve those goals. And often many people fall short of achieving their goals. Why do you believe this is the case? I think that part of it is that we we do part of what we're supposed to do, but we miss a critical part. I think, you know, we have to get very clear on what we want. Yes, and that's great. We have to know the details, and that's great. We have to write them down. I think, don't quote me, but I think the statistics is something like 80% of the people who write their goals down actually achieve them. And all of that is a really, really good start. But if you want to make the process happen more quickly and with much more ease, I believe it is imperative that you use your imagination, your subconscious brain, to envision your goal or desire actually coming into your present reality. That is so key. And I think that's also what trips us up, right, to the point that, I I see a lot of people giving up before they actually get the process moving because people think, oh, that's such a waste of time. I'm not going to sit there and, you know, use my imagination. But your imagination is key. And we can begin to actually see the results when you begin to do it. Linda, what does that look like when when you use your imagination or you visualize? How detailed do you have to be? and, And what is the process of doing this? That is such a good question. Thank you. You have to actually get crystal clear. Use your imagination to actually envision what you want. I would say use every single one of your senses. Get into that situation and who's there? See the people. What do you feel? Are you sitting behind a new mahogany desk or are you in this new neighborhood? See what you see. Feel what you feel. Use your senses. What do you smell? What do you hear? Use all of those senses and get very, very specific. And here's the key. Visualize, that, visualize it as though it's happening right now. Not sometime in the future, because that keeps you in a state of wanting, right? But see it now. Another part of this that's really, really important is that you need to know our brains can't tell the difference between a real experience and an imagined one. So using your imagination to help bring about what you want in your reality is so so important. Just get clear on your why and start using it with emotion. Emotion is what's key. And Linda, is that because, you know, you had just said about using our subconscious mind and that the subconscious can't tell the difference between what is imagined and and what is real. I know when we're little girls and we become the princess, if you ever see a little girl who is pretending to be a princess, she's not pretending to be Mary as the princess, she becomes the princess. She walks and yes. she talks and she embodies this role. So when we do that in our life, when we are now being the person we're setting a goal to be, do we show up differently? Is that why we have more success? Yes. And you, you do show up differently. You begin to, I love the word you used, you begin to embody that person, that new, new person or that new goal. And where does that all come from? the emotion, right? We want to feel a certain way. I mean, that's the basis of all buying decisions too. It's the emotion behind it. So when you want to create something new, you want to be in that new place. And that visualization helps you bring about in your physical reality, whatever you're visioning in your mind's eye. So if you want to get a promotion, if that's a goal to be the manager of your department, you need to start acting like the manager of the department before you even get the job. Correct. Yes. You act as though that wish is already fulfilled. I think Wayne Dyer has a whole program on that, right, called Wishes Fulfilled. And you become who you want to be and you make a pathway. Your imagination, your visioning creates the pathway for that to happen in your reality. That's what visioning does for you. Yeah, and I think this is such an important conversation, Linda, because so many of us always visualize the bad things that will happen. We spend so much time imagining 
the worst case scenario when we should be shifting it to see the goals and the benefits that we can achieve. Exactly. Yes. And that's just the way our human brain is made, right? We always defer to the worst case scenario or we let our imagination run down the rabbit hole of, oh my goodness, what if, right? But what if what you are thinking about and focusing on is what you want to bring about? That is creating that pathway to make it happen in your reality. So focus on what you want to bring about. Play with it in your mind's eye and you will actually see it come to fruition so much more easily and so much more quickly. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit lindamitchellcoachingandhealing.com. We'll be right back. From the studios of AM 970, The Answer, on Broadway and Wall Street in Manhattan, this is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Today's guest, Joel Green, teaches how to respond to life rather than reacting to it. By using a process he calls filtering, Joel says we can extract the good and essential from our daily occurrences. Joel is CEO of Pro Level Training, the national director of Nike Sports Camps, a former professional basketball player, and a motivational speaker. In addition, he's a professional sports and fitness model and actor who's been featured in commercials. Joel is the author of the book, Filtering, The Way to Extract Strength from the Struggle. Welcome, Joel. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan, thanks so much for having me on. So, Joel, looking at your bio, you're a leader in everything that you do. Were you always this person? No. <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> I was not. You know, initially, I, with much of my activity, I'm a big-time observer. So when I even got into, let's say, basketball, which is, you know, a good portion of my life, you know, playing actively, I just observed. I watched. You know, I may have been on a team, but... I knew I wasn't ready to be a leader just yet in what I thought leadership to be. So I watched the guys who were leaders and who I looked up to be uh, in that role. And I began to mimic those guys and those girls. Because early on, I played with, you know, guys and girls in the co-ed leagues and teams and things like that. And I just began copying them, to be honest, and, you know, began doing what they did with my own twist and adding my own touch to it. And I'll be honest, I do the same thing today. If I'm getting into a new industry, any new walk of life, any new venture, I observe, I learn, and I mimic, but I add my own touch and twist to it. And I think that's such an important point to make because oftentimes I think people believe they know everything and there's nothing they have to learn Mm -hmm. from anyone else. So I agree with you. Being an observer, I I always said that's what I did growing into this Mm -hmm. job. I, I was a sponge. I tried to learn everything I could from other people. Exactly. And that's, I, I enjoy that. I, I'm a learner, so I, I enjoy that process of saying, wow, I'm picking up a new trade, a new skill. Uh, wow, I can't wait to apply this. So it's, it's an adventure for me every time. And I'm glad that I enjoy that because I, I know most do not. Most want to just jump right in and, and already know how to do, but that's not the case. So tell us a little bit about your filtering process. What is it? How did you develop it? Well, you know, filtering in itself is it's an extraction process. You know, just as if you know, we're filtering water, or filtering air. You know, we're trying to leave behind the bad and, you know, take the good away from it and and apply that good. And that's really what it's all about. And I came up with the filtering method while I was going through some difficulties and just needed answers. I needed to know how to get over the hurdles that I was going through and the obstacles and the challenges that I was experiencing. I just had to find a way, to be honest. And, you know, it, I developed this, this method to not just get me through what I was going through, but I challenged myself to see if I can even pull from the difficulty to actually propel me through what I was going through. I want to see if I can actually get gain something from it as opposed to just getting on the other side of it. So, I began leaning into my situations more, the dark moments more, to see if there was any bit of motivation, any bit of fuel, any bit of strength within them. And I just began seeing it, you know, from so many different angles, like I haven't before, because I would dismiss my pain. I would dismiss difficulty because I just wanted it to be gone. But the moment I began leaning into it, I started learning from them, saying, wow, okay, there's actually fruits within even these dark moments. And uh, it began filtering and breaking down that those situations and circumstances into manageable 
pieces for myself that I can handle and not become be overwhelmed with. And the moment I broke those things down, it became easy to handle. Yeah, because I think a lot of times people get stuck in the bad. You know, they, they assume this mm-hmm. identity of the worst thing that's happened to them, and they live the rest of their lives being that person, letting it define who mm-hmm. they are. Right, right. And, and that's where, you know, I mentioned learning earlier, how I enjoy learning. That's what filtering is really about. When it, if you want to get to a foundation of what it does for you, it teaches you. And the same way we, we go to a therapist, we go to a coach, and I coach and help people. Filtering in itself will help you do that for yourself in the moment while you're going through what you're going through as opposed to have to, to wait on hindsight to reveal the fruits to you of your circumstances. You can have those things revealed to you in the moment if you lean into them. You know, we go to therapy to lean into our situations, you know, so that the therapist can help reveal things for us. And, you know, filtering in itself is a great tool and method that we can use for ourselves, not to replace therapy. You know, it's great to have ventilation take place. It's great to have help. But there's nothing like having something for yourself to use while you're going through something, especially if it's just you right there. So filtering is a great tool to help you see things from a different perspective and, and hold different objective vantage points. Joe, can you give us a few tips from your book uh, about how we can learn how to do this? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mentioned pain earlier, and it is one of the chapters, one of my favorite chapters. They're all, you know, a favorite of mine. But (laughs) uh, one that may be the most lengthy is uh, the purpose of our pain. And that goes into full detail of how we can learn from our pain, of how we can really address our pain as opposed to just trying to make it go away because it hurts us so much. You know, my, the way I look at it is we got to go. Once it's here, it's here. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with trying to expedite its uh, dismissal, you know, but at the same time, I feel that we should still carry a, a perspective of trying to learn from that situation of what we're going through so that the pain, the difficulties, the challenges doesn't revolve when we have an opportunity to resolve those things in the moment. So I feel like we can resolve so much just by learning. We can resolve, you know, hatred by learning about the things and people that we hate. I think greater understanding comes with greater empathy, and empathy just leads to resolution a lot of times. And um, but there's this, this, this so much that I discuss in the book in regard to that, but one or two ways. Um, and I talk about adjustments a lot in the book, making adjustments, being open. You know, uh, I talk about some, some key words and terms you can give yourself when you're going through something so that you're not harping on something that just happened. I tell people to tell themselves next play. Um, it was something that I learned in sports to where I used to miss a shot or dribble the ball off my foot and get a turnover and be upset, so upset about it that I became a detriment to my team the next play because – I'm hanging my head low, and the guy that I'm supposed to be playing defense on, the next trip up the floor, he scores. All because I was still dwelling on what happened to me, being a victim in that moment. At the same time, self-sabotaging myself and my team. And so my coach, you know, he had to pull me aside a number of times saying, hey, look, you're hurting us by pouting <laughs> and dwelling on what happened. You have to move forward. You have to move forward, or else you're going to hurt the entire team and yourself. So he said, look, what I want you to do is next time you miss a shot, next time you do something that is not ideal for yourself that you expect to do better at, immediately tell yourself next play. And it breaks you out of that moment of disappointment and defeat. And it just takes you forward and you look for progress immediately. And that's, you know, one way I tell people a, a nice quick way to break yourself out of what you're going through and become more aware of there's still more life ahead. Yeah, what what a great tip. As you were talking about that, I just kept thinking about that's my new thing, you know, next play, because that's what happens to us, what you just described. Something doesn't go our way or somebody says something or we just get stuck there and we ruminate over it and we tell ourselves over and over again how horrible we are and we're no good and we can't do this. And, oh, boy, it just mm-hmm. consumes us. And so, like you're saying, it sounds simple, but I, I love it. Next play. Next play. 
I, I could yeah. tell myself that often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, life, life happens, you know, and unexpected people happen, you know, and unexpected reactions to your actions happen. And if, if it's not ideal, you have to just try to find a way to keep yourself moving forward, not being stuck in that, that unideal moment. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice on the other side. It may not always be easy, but it's so worth it. When I look at everything that you've taken on in life, uh, professional basketball, acting, modeling, these are all highly competitive fields. And these are all areas that, you know, your motivation can very easily be broken. How do you maintain that motivation besides the, the strategy that you just shared with us? How do you keep forging forward when you're in such a highly competitive arena? I'm, a, I'm my main competition. And that, you know, and I say that with all humility, no arrogance, no conceit whatsoever. But I put my focus on me in environments like that because I, again, I love growth. I love learning. I love improvement. And only I can grow truly. You know, even if I'm a part of a team, I can help the team grow. But my contribution comes by way of my. I dare say selfish growth, my individual growth. That's how I'll then contribute my portion to the team. You know, and that's really what it comes down to when it comes to my improvement, when it comes to my success in a certain, at a certain venture, I challenge myself to be my own, my only competition. How well can I do? Not compared to how the world they do or how well someone else does. My end result is based off of how well I challenge myself to do and what can I get out of myself? And that's really what I do with everything. I just, I step into it and it helps me to worry less about the end result. Cause I don't like worrying, you know, at all. Yeah. And so I just, I shift my focus to now because when we worry, we're, we're in the future. We're not in the present. We're, you know, we're thinking about outcomes and results and objectives complete. I'm not concerned with that. That my, end result is going to simply be a byproduct of how great I do in the moment. And that's where I place myself. And that just allows me to, to compete with myself and enjoy it that much more. Joel, is that the way a lot of athletes are trained to just compete with yourself? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's one thing to where, you know, I've spoken to a number of sports psychologists over the years, friends with some now, and that's the ultimate way to become your personal best. It cannot be, you know, comparative. You can be aware of competition. You can be aware of comparisons as far as your numbers versus the best numbers, things like that. There's nothing wrong with being aware of that. That cannot be your primary motivator or driving force. Ultimately, all you can do is all you can do, right? And that's what people have to realize. It's not about you doing more than this or more than that. All you can ultimately achieve and pull off is all that you can personally achieve and pull off. Seek that out. And that's my objective all the time. I'm trying to seek that out. And I know if anyone seeks that out, they will in turn find greatness. Well, that's such a great lesson that can be applied to any area of a person's life because, you know, you hear people that maybe they're looking on social media or they're comparing themselves to their friends, like let's say a, a parent who's saying, well, their kids have this or this person has that or their house is bigger or they have a better car, they have a better job. All we do is compare ourselves to other people. Right. And that's why we're never happy. And, and then you get the bigger car right. and you're still not happy and you get the better house mm -hmm. and you're still not happy. So it does come from within. It comes from within. And again, it's what we ultimately want. I, I truly believe is that we don't want things, we want feelings. You know, it's not that we want all this stuff. We want the feelings that that stuff brings. And, you know, I began to realize that over the years, like, you know, do I enjoy things and stuff like the next person? Absolutely, I do. You know, things, you know some things bring joy to me and my household. But at the same time, I enjoy feeling great. I enjoy feeling fulfilled. That's my main objective. I want to be fulfilled every day. It's not happiness. I don't pursue happiness. You know, I pursue fulfillment each and every day, things that can just keep me going and saying, wow, today was fun. You know? yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I can look forward to tomorrow. Like, and that's just, like you said, so many people 
I just, you know, the comparing and just getting this and realizing, oh, it wasn't that that was that was going to do it. So he looks for the next thing and he's like, oh, it's not that. You just gotta gotta seek out like the, the feelings, like yeah. and just find ways to, to help yourself feel good. We're trying to fill this hole within ourselves. And, and, you know, Joe, when I started this work more than 12 years ago, it was because I went through a lot of loss and, and personal mm-hmm. challenges in my own life. And I created the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life brand because the one thing I did know, I didn't know a whole lot back then, but the one thing I did know was that I had to get my head in the game, so to speak, if I was going to move forward. I had to learn how to embrace these changes, look for the blessings, as you said, you know, stop looking at my struggles as negatives. And that's really how I've been able to do the work that I'm doing and create the life that I have. And, and that's what you're telling everyone through your work and your book and by example. And I think if we learn how to do that one thing, to, to start to look at our challenges and our struggles as not necessarily these negative things happening to us, I think that's the place where the transformation begins. Do you agree with that? I completely agree with that. Uh, completely agree. I mean, they, so many of these things are happening for us and not to us. And we right. just don't realize it because our perspective is off. And, you know, emotionally, we get so caught up on the surface of what we're going through, not realizing what lies beneath. And that's truly what I began discovering. The more I leaned into my problems, my difficulties, my challenges, the more, as you just said, embraced the challenges, I began to actually see what they were, they truly were about. I began to see, okay, maybe this is why it came, as opposed to just being so irate about the fact that it's here. And that's, you know, it was a discovery. I just said, okay, I really just have to not be afraid. It's a daring thing to do. You know, it, it, it's a painful thing to do sometimes, to have to go toward what's, what's hurting you, what's challenging you. But... So many times, it's kind of like facing a bully. The more we run from a bully, the more it, t- it chases us, you know? It's not until we stand up to it, until it, then, then it begins to stop. I'm not saying it stops right away, but sooner or later, that bullying stops. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important, you know, as you were saying, that things don't happen to us. And, and we're not saying that mm-hmm. we want these bad things to happen, but they're right. happening. And so here you are, and what are you going to do with it? Exactly. And I forget the, the scripture in the Bible, but um, it talks about, you know, our troubles. Um, it says, work, work is for us, far exceeding glory. I, I forget the exact, exact scripture, but that's exactly how I look at our troubles. It, it work is, works for us. They're an assistant, you know, in helping us to grow and to get better and realizing that, we aren't here, and this is a recent revelation I've even had, thinking, this is about life. I, I sit down, I have think time. <laughs> you know? So I allow myself just to sit back and think for five to ten minutes and just whatever crosses my mind, I entertain it. And I have a pencil and a piece of paper sometimes, or I'll just put something on my phone. And I was just thinking, just, you know, I don't feel like we were put here to make all the bad stuff good, you know? Um, I really feel like the bad stuff was put here to make us better. Um, I feel like we need to embrace these things a little bit more so that we can grow as we thought of them as opposed to just always even trying to improve them. I think we need to just say, you know what, they are here. This is life. Let's get better as a result of them. Right, because you wouldn't be the person you are today had you not gone through those challenges, and I wouldn't be the person I am today. And so it really gives us the opportunity to grow and to turn into a better version of ourselves. And remember to say, next play. Joel, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a wonderful conversation, and I've really enjoyed having you on the show. Joel, thank you so much. It's been a joy. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How do I give things up is a question I hear almost daily. Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized, an award-winning professional organizing company serving clients who live with chronic disorganization. Many people living with CD have very deep emotions and find it difficult to let go of what I call heartstrings items. I say, let's work with your emotions rather than fight them. First of all, maybe you don't have to part with those items at all. Who says you have to give up everything that's important to you? If you 
love something and it makes you feel good, keep it. However, if you're drowning in possessions and can't live that way anymore, you can do something about it. One way, decide to decide. Tell yourself you're going to make a decision, set criteria for deciding, then trust yourself that you're doing the right thing. Another way is to have a ritual. Hold it, thank it for its service, bless it, bury it, burn it, kiss it, or take it to its new home, knowing that it will make someone else very happy. A third way is to keep a small part of a larger whole, like just a few favorites or a representative sample of items from a big collection, and then pass the rest on. Whatever action you take, doing something to honor yourself and your feelings can help to remove the emotional tie to a material possession. I'm Gail Gruenberg with Let's Get Organized. Call us at 201-613-2733 or visit our website at lgorganized.com. An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Hi, this is Joan Herman. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit joanherman.com slash media training. That's joanherman.com slash media training. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.